2: I'm going to watch my likes. I feel like I'm now saying like all the time.
3: Okay, so I watched the whole AOC thing today. Mm -hmm. All 89 minutes. And because I was getting a bit bored in parts, but I couldn't scroll on Instagram because I was on Instagram. I was scrolling through the comments as she was talking and someone said, oh my God, can you not say like every sentence? And it's that thing where as soon as you're aware of it, you hear it. Mm -hmm. And this is an accomplished politician And she says it in every fucking sentence.
2: Yeah, that makes me feel a bit better.
3: Yeah, for the listeners, we're saying that as people who are aware that we do. We're not saying that. No, yeah, no, we do it. The the listeners,
2: I have. um, It's funny because I have this thing against. I really, really notice when people say like in conversation, um, and. Grace, you're quite bad at it when you're explaining something and you're trying to get your head around I'm explaining awful it. At it. And I'm, and then I realised the other day that I'm just the pot calling the kettle black, and constantly <laughs> am um, <laughs> telling other people to stop saying like, and then I I start saying it too. But I think it's because I adjust so much to whoever I'm talking to. Some podcast episodes, I just want to strangle myself
3: through us against the wall. Yeah. But I find every single every single guest we've interviewed i'm pretty sure
2: no it's lot the same of them. yeah
3: amazing well-spoken incredible what they're Smart. saying is it, i i i need to look up the anthropological history of the like but it's definitely a female thing it's something to do with um like couching what you're saying or doubting yourself as you're saying and there's i feel like there's there's something
2: i think also we just speak really fast And the other day I was talking to a guy I'm dating and he, he said, he actually, he can say like a lot depending on who he's talking to. I was saying he changes how he speaks depending on who he's around, but he was, he speaks so slowly. And he said that that's why he finds things like, um, doing online lectures or, um, any kind of speaking presentation thing fine because he speaks so slowly that he just has time to think about what he's saying and even as I'm doing this now I'm speaking slower than usual and I'm realizing I don't have to say like because I'm not trying to think of what's coming next I'm just pausing for a second which is probably a lot better
3: yeah he speaks really slowly to the (laughs) point where sometimes I'll say something and it's silence for honestly eight to ten seconds yeah and then I think I'm just, like, boring him to tears. Yeah. That he's just thinking about uh, – I probably am, but he's just thinking about it. <laughs> I a, know. a considerate reply, which I do the opposite of. Yeah. I just fill all the space with my nattering about nonsense, which I, is actually not who I would like to be. I'd like to be a calm and collected character <laughs> who doesn't feel the need to do that. When I had my first job at Elle magazine, my editor turned to me – And she said, Grace, you're really smart and the way you talk, you sound stupid because you say like all the time. It makes girls sound dumb. Stop Mm. doing it. Yeah. And I I wanted to cry, obviously, (laughs) because I was like 18.
2: (laughs) But I didn't stop. I remember actively teaching myself when I was about 20. 2 or 23 because I hated hearing it so much so I cannot say it pretty easily when I'm thinking about it you're actually pretty good once you, it's pointed out but then yeah you get you you, you it, yeah, yeah you kind of forget and just and also when you're trying to think of other things to say say on a podcast when you're trying to remember points and facts and everything you've brought to the conversation trying to remember to not say like at the same time is hard I
3: know exactly I say it's, oh, it's just mom. a naughty it's a naughty little habit mm. You know, it's just a naughty little habit that you've got to fight. You, um is fine, though. I don't think um is bothersome to people. Hmm. Like kind of undermines your credibility in a way that um doesn't, because um is literally just a pause to think.
2: Yeah. After we drink like, New Year's resolutions, like, anyone else want to join? <laughs> we can all stop saying like.
3: Yeah, we'll talk so slow
2: and then you can put us on double speed, but- <laughs> And then that's perfect. At least we <laughs> won't be saying like- <laughs> My therapist said to me yesterday, is there anything you've been doing that's been making you feel accomplished? And I could reply cooking, which was this I weird... I her. Yeah, She's I know. She's such a
3: calming presence, even in my life, by proxy. I'm like, what I a know. nice question to ask. She's such a legend. She read me a fairy tale yesterday.
2: I love her so much. She also just... <laughs> With all the like 150 pounds an hour yeah like now we're gonna read snow white <laughs> yeah but yeah and, and I got to say cooking which as long time listeners will know is this weird brain block that was kind of associated with like trauma for me and now I'm making lasagnas and I made c- cookies last <laughs> night <laughs>
3: you're making mug cakes mm-hmm. a mug in a cake in a mug I made a cake in a mug cookies I'm so jealous of the cookies. I'm gonna. I want to make some.
2: They're not that. They weren't that good, but problematic. Fave Alison Roman. (laughs) The
3: woman has some good recipes. The woman has great. That's that's, great. um, That's easy to follow recipes. (laughs) I know she's famous for a reason. I know. The first time I started looking through one of her cookbooks, I was like, God, everything in here is just fabulous and simple. (laughs) I know. That's the thing. (laughs) Okay, so what have you been? Watching, I have been watching lots of old films,
2: um, which has been really good because my uh, kind of cultural knowledge starts from about the age of 22. I'd never listened to a song, watched a movie, watched a TV show beforehand. (laughs) Never listened Um, to a song. (laughs) It's so hard to believe, but it's true. Um, So I watched Mulholland Drive
3: and Blue Velvet and Basic Mm -hmm. Instinct all very good movies yeah I haven't seen Basic Instinct but we did a lot of David Lynch in film school and I liked both of them but I feel like I liked Mulholland Drive more
2: yes I really liked Mulholland Drive but Blue Velvet Laura Dern's in it and I was so shocked and I was telling you on the phone I was like oh my god and then Laura Dern popped up and I was so surprised and apparently that's just like why she's famous basically
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so good. And there's that, like, horny Naomi Watts scene in Mulholland Drive. I feel like that was... Sharon Stone.
2: Oh, no. No, yeah, horny Naomi Watts scene in Mulholland Drive and then horny Sharon Stone scene in Basic Instinct when she uncrosses her legs and you see her full vagina.
3: I haven't seen the movie, but I'm aware of that scene. And that still feels culturally groundbreaking Mm. now, Mm. all these years on.
2: The only other thing I kind of did this week was listened to fk Twiggs's uh interview with louis theroux on his podcast and so it's in two parts the first part was recorded before she came forward about with her allegations against shia labeouf and then the second part um louis through called her back up and they talked about that because basically in the first part he, he was just like what have you been up to and rah rah, rah. and she was kind of just being quite vague and then yeah it was because she was basically putting together this lawsuit so she talked about that and I found the interview really interesting I really love her as a performer I've seen her a bunch of times live I think she's so incredible and so the first half was all about her music and also about um when she dated Robert Pattinson and she was talking about all of the horrific racism she endured through that relationship because of his crazy twilight stands. Um And she said that it literally got so bad that every single photo that was taken of her, his crazy fans would find a photo of a monkey doing the same thing and put it up beside it. And it got so bad that um, she would start seeing photos of herself and seeing a monkey. Also, if you're fans of Robert Pattinson, don't have a go at the
3: person he's in love with. Yeah, but it's it's... It's crazy because they were together recently, like 2015. I mean, this is – like, it's never okay, but it's not like they were together in 1948. Like, they were together literally four or five years ago. The fact that that was even a thing that I vaguely remember but didn't spark that much cultural conversation. I'm sure there were think pieces and op-eds on it, but it wasn't this outrage that it would have been now. I know. Um, It's just – crazy but those girls it's like those girls when they go on to fucking olivia wilde's account like they're just i don't know who they are but they're not (laughs) yeah psycho sexually frustrated teenage girls yeah are dangerous
2: it's because you think that that person who was who was the person you were
3: obsessed with to that point (laughs) who i was obsessed with aragon from lord of the rings
2: oh yeah everyone was obsessed with aragon wait aragon's not
3: Orlando, it's the other hottie, The other yeah. one. I had, like, yeah. a poster of him in character above my bed. He's, like, a 40-year-old man. <laughs> the Viggo Mortensen Stan Society. Just me and no one else. No, he's, he's a hottie. I, oh, I, I know I who yours was. He is hot. But I found him hotter than a, um, Orlando Bloom, for sure. Yeah, because he's, like, rugged and yeah. sexual. <laughs> but um, I know who yours was. Ashton Kutcher. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: I would I would have harassed obviously not racially but harassed anyone he was yeah. dating. <laughs> For sure. I
3: find
2: age that uh,
3: yeah age 12 I know. I mean I I don't want to judge because I had access to such like primitive internet. At that age, I don't want to say what I would and wouldn't do if I had access to Instagram when I was 12.
2: Yeah, we had dial-up.
3: Literally dial-up, we were allowed on for an hour a day.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it would, <laughs> and you couldn't use the phone at the same time? The phone at the same time. <laughs> My mom would be like, get off that damn thing. I don't even know what I was doing.
3: My like, biggest shameful memory is that when we first got a desktop computer, the first thing I did was just Google the word vagina and my mum walked in. I don't know how – she just knew that I was being naughty. I wasn't even looking at porn or anything. I just typed a vagina and up came this, like, very biological thing that had the uterus and the things. And my mum walked in and she was like, what are you doing? And I got into all this trouble. This is you coming out we're looking on up, the pod? Yeah, looking up pussies on the internet. <laughs> if, my, if my kid does that, I'll be like, good on you. Keep I know. Going. I know. Um – I watched Emma, that movie that came out this time last year. It's like the Jane Austen Emma. Yeah. It's what, so Clueless is based off Emma. Yes, yeah, And I've then heard I realized that. I haven't seen Clueless. What? Because I watched. Because it's so much in our culture, I just assumed I'd watched it because you see so much of it. But then as I was watching Emma, I was like, wait, how is this the story of Clueless? And then I rewatched Clueless. And was like, I don't think I've seen this. Wow. Loved them both. So, Emma, the new one, is Anya Taylor Joy, Josh O'Connor, who's hot, anti hot, Prince Charles, who the fuck else? Bill Nye, and Johnny Flynn, who's this really hot, attractive, hot, and just hot up and coming guy. He's about to play David Bowie in a biopic, and he's really sexy. Johnny Um, Flynn johnny flynn he's like my
2: kind
3: of like slightly weather-beaten sexy i'm quite hot i don't know if it's me talking about my (laughs) vagina escapades on johnny flynn one of the other (laughs) on on bing (laughs) when i was 11 anyway it's made by autumn de wilde who is a fashion music photographer it's her first movie and it's beautiful to look at it's incredible like the costumes and the set design and everything and it's just really sweet and lovely and i loved it and i think you'll really like it
2: amazing i love
3: period dramas it's like a great period drama because Mm. it's 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 cool bridgerton if that makes sense, where it's quite modernized and stylized. I'm finally watching Bridgerton. Yeah, it's just fine. It's just fine. It's just fine. I read a really good article we were going to talk about this last week that said that the reason, because Bridgerton is the most watched show ever on Netflix ever. They never release their numbers usually, and 82 million people watched it in the first 28 days, which I find insane because I know we're all at home, but... So many, people. so many Netflix shows it's just weird that so many people and then I read a thing on the Atlantic it's so many said,
2: New Zealand's
3: so <laughs> yeah how many New Zealand's is that 20 there's 5 huh. million people mm. quite a few New Zealand's <laughs> yeah I can't work it out just do- stop counting with your fingers <laughs>
2: I ran out you of one two three four <laughs> over t- over ten
3: <laughs> yeah many um but then, yeah, this thing on The Atlantic said that the two biggest pop culture phenomenons of this last few months are Dumoir and Bridgerton and how they both speak to our inherent need for gossip as humans. Yes. And how we're missing it by seeing each other because most of us gossip in person and the act of gossiping is, like, actually good for your mental and physical and well-being. Because we're not seeing other so, people we've got lists to gossip about as well. There's nothing going on, yeah. so we're we're obsessed with fictional gossip. I thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I would also like to quickly plug our website, which we finally updated this week, and they're just there's just so many really good essays. So there's a personal essay on being aromantic and asexual, and I knew about being asexual, but not all that much about being aromantic, where you just don't have mm. any romantic feelings. To the opposite sex at all. So, there's a really interesting essay on that. There's one on being 23 and having never dated. There's one on how reporting sexual assault is another form of assault for survivors. One on the importance of self care and motherhood. And one on online dating with ADHD. All very interesting. Like, why didn't I write these myself? Exactly.
3: You're going to plagiarize our emerging (laughs) Writers. writers. We're joking. We're joking. Um, Yeah, everyone is such a fantastic, amazing writer. So basically we launched a program uh, last year where we did a call out for emerging writers, especially focusing on queer, black and people of color, young emerging writers. Because the Australian and New Zealand
2: and worldwide media landscape is overwhelmingly white. Um, And we just wanted to kind of help young writers get a foot in the door, which is a very hard thing to do in media.
3: Yeah, we kind of knew the foot in the door was the problem. So we basically partnered everyone up with an established writer or editor across every aspect of the Australian media where people from. Vogue, Elle, Marie Claire, um, Pedestrian TV, Pop Sugar, Channel Ten, Channel Seven, Channel Nine, Sydney Morning Herald, West Australian, and we've had some amazing essays come out of it. And a bunch of the people that we unearthed have actually gone on to write for or get jobs at some of the publications. And we still have budget for uh, emerging people, and we still have a bunch of mentors and people that want to help that haven't been partnered with a writer yet. So we have an inbox full of submissions. That we're working through will make our lives harder by saying that if this is you,
2: send in your ideas. I was so stoked that we had quite a few messages from people we featured on the site saying that they have either yeah, gotten commissions or been hired at publications since, which is very sweet and makes me feel happy and gives me a reason to live in this lockdown. <laughs>
0: Gives me a reason to (laughs) look.
3: It's kind of true. I know. Okay, so it's been a little while since we recorded last, so we kind of have a a bountiful list of topics. Yes. Starting with something sad.
2: Yeah, so on Saturday morning, we woke up to the news that Sophie, who is a groundbreaking uh, pop artist had passed away overnight she was at her home in Greece where she'd climbed up to see the full moon and had fallen so it's really tragic and I'm sure you would have seen images of her all over your Instagram over the weekend but if you don't know Sophie's music um she has produced for major artists like Charlie XCX, Madonna, Vince Staple, she's worked with Rihanna, she has a song with Kendrick Lamar and basically she was born in Scotland so she became big in the early 2010s in the underground London nightclub scene. And she she remained um, anonymous on purpose. So there were times where she never featured her own vocals and she didn't feature in her own music videos. And then there was a time, um, famously in 2014, when she sent someone else to perform for her at a live concert. Uh, And then in 2016, she released her first album, And at the same time, she featured in her own music video for the first time so people could see her for the first time, sang her own vocals, and came out as trans. So she became this icon for the queer community and at the same time was this pop producer who kind of took her underground music into the mainstream because she basically pioneered this new genre.
3: Yeah, I I mean, I'm not, like, super across modern music but I was I remember when that music video came out it being like massive and just her entire aesthetic is just so beautiful and she's just one of those people um that you kind of become aware of who are the it's like that thing about looking at who you think is cool who they think is cool kind of thing Mm -hmm. where it's all the coolest people in the music industry were obsessed with Sophie. Mm. Like that was the kind of vibe and she like really influenced so many. It's like that chick, a little mommy Lani who is friends with Bella Hadid and all of those people. And she does the visuals for Miley Cyrus and Dua Lipa and stuff, but not many people know who she is.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like that
3: vibe. There are people like that, that exist who are so influential, but most people wouldn't necessarily know because they're just seeing the like knock on effect of their influence.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Um, I read I read a piece, um, for Crack Magazine who years ago published one of the most beautiful photo shoots of Sophie that was kind of shared everywhere on the weekend, um, and the writer Sean O'Neill O'Neill wrote mm, your pseudonym a cousin perhaps <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah probably literally probably probably wrote. Sophie's vision was limitless both in music and beyond and it was this vision that, so- and it was with this vision that Sophie became one of the most influential and vital producers of our time an artist who is so far ahead that perhaps we're still catching up and then mm. at the end of the piece which makes me quite teary um he wrote for a producer who wanted to climb higher to see the full moon whose absence from streaming sites and who always wanted to go harder and brighter sophie was never to be contained death doesn't mean the loss of the producer's rich synthetic universe but it will stop expanding now how lucky we were to visit it
3: Mm -hmm. what a beautiful piece of writing i know
2: yeah, we put Sophie on the um, on the projector and I just wanted to – maybe just want to go to the clubs on Saturday night, but I was like, I'm in lockdown. That would
3: have been the fitting tribute and no one can go and party. It's exactly. so awful. So now I want to pivot to something dumb. Yep. <laughs> so Chrissy Teigen today on Twitter has got in trouble because she tweeted – I literally don't know what she was thinking. She tweeted – What's the stupidest expensive thing you've had to pay for? I'll go first. Once me and John were at a restaurant and we asked the waiter to recommend us a bottle of wine, and then when the bill came, it was thirteen thousand dollars, and we just had to pay it. Ha ha ha.
2: Yeah, and she said it was already taken away from the table, and they didn't even finish it because it wasn't nice.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you've seen this. I thought I was educating you on a dumb bitch story.
2: No, I. You were. I just saw it in the dock and thought I'm gonna Google it. Uh. (laughs) Just now.
3: Um yes. So obviously because it's a pandemic and there's a global recession and uh, uh, um everyone in the comments popped off and were basically saying $13,000 would literally cover my rent for a year and all this stuff. Um and then she doubled down and was like, "I can't be relatable all the time." <laughs> Because the tweet was so funny.
2: (laughs) Do you know what? I like weirdly You vibe it. I'm weirdly just kind of on her side for some reason. I don't know why. I think because I get that it's tone deaf, but I also think her I also think it's absolutely yeah it's honest but it's also absolutely wild and should be illegal that someone can just recommend without telling someone how much it costs a $13,000 bottle of wine actually what was the story what was the story that Jake was telling us about oh it's all coming back something happened in the shard in London where a girl ordered a bottle of wine without looking at the at the at the price and it was two thousand dollars and i think she was on a date with a guy and he made her pay for it and she couldn't pay for it
3: what was that yeah because at nice restaurants i I, it's i know it happens everywhere but it doesn't seem to happen that much in australia here they weirdly give the women lists without money on them Mm.
2: yeah but i just I, i just thought it's absolutely wild that it was fifteen thousand dollars and you can afford to pay for that but also
3: that man should be fired it's it's his fault yeah he should be fired i think i the reason i like this story is because i find it interesting the barometers of wealth that we allow that we celebrate celebrities for versus condemn them for yeah like i find that really interesting i'm like that you know they live in a 20 million dollar house you know they, you they know have she has lives. An Hermes Birkin. You know that she has a private jet. You know that her engagement ring costs one point two million dollars. You're rewarding her for her wealth ninety percent of the time. Why is this thing? Like you can see how celebrities would get confused hmm. because of it's course. like, why is this thing? I I get I get it because the blatant numbers of it feels gross and weird and tone deaf. But I can see from her perspective where she's like, well, everything about me is tone deaf. I'm a celebrity. Yeah. (laughs) What do you guys think? What do you guys think I do? Do you think I go and eat at like Chick fil A every day and don't go to really expensive restaurants and, you know? And that, like you say, that is a crazy story.
2: Yeah. And the reason people like her is because she's a rich person who's relatable. And she's literally being, right now, a rich person saying, oh my God, a $15,000 bottle of wine was wild we would never pay for that whereas victoria beckham and david beckham victoria beckham posted a photo on her instagram account of a bottle of wine that her and david were having for her anniversary and it was 30,000 pound
3: okay that exa- exactly exactly like the thing itself doesn't matter it's the assigning the monetary value why is that the problem and it's like um i read the other day don't those stupid swirly mirrors every fucking person had Oh my has. god, yeah! And this—how oh much god, money are they? They're thirteen thousand dollars. Not all of them, but they're a vintage seventies. Yeah, thing. I saw.
2: I saw a girl that um, actually Shah Elise that we had on the podcast. She was she posted on her Instagram stories. Okay, fuck it, it's time to buy one of these mirrors. And then the next thing was her googling it and seeing that it was thirteen thousand dollars. And she'd inserted her her face into the Google, just being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah.
3: So Lena Dunham, Bella Hadid, Frank Ocean, all of these people own this mirror. And you – its this is what – I find this just so funny. People will like the post with the mirror Mm. saying this is fucking dope, this is sick, I love it. And they'll even cognitively know that it costs that much money. But if Lena Dunham tweeted saying, oh, my God, I just, like, accidentally smashed my mirror and it cost 13 grand – I guess it's when it sounds like you're complaining is that the problem like i'm trying to figure out what the problem is 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 it because like is it because Chrissy tegan sounded like it was a a problem that people were like shut up it's not a real problem
2: i don't know if i feel like she was saying it was too much money which is kind of kind of what other people think as well she she's kind of saying that she's being like that's fucked and everyone else is like she's being a normal person fucked. who
3: would find that hilarious and it's kind of like us when we would do fashion week things yeah. where we're a normal person plonked in a, a rich situation. So you kind of do find things like that insane.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, um, I yeah, I
2: don't know. I think I think it's even just putting a, yeah, putting a dollar amount, putting a blatant dollar amount on it, which, yeah, seems absolutely wild because they're all flying around in private jets all the time. It's also
3: such a testament to how different people are experiencing this pandemic because if you don't have money this year has been a nightmare, like an absolute nightmare. Whereas if you do have money, this year feels like not that big a deal.
2: For a lot of people with money, it would just feel like a holiday. And yeah. to, I know you can't leave the country or whatever, but for people like celebrities, Crossy Tegan and John Legend and everyone – they're traveling and touring and doing things all the time. So they would just feel as though they finally get some family time at home.
3: Exactly. So I think that's what the disconnect is as well, is that you're not even, it wouldn't even cross her mind that some people could find it upsetting because her life hasn't, in terms of, I know she's had a horrible event happen to her recently, but I mean her life hasn't changed in the last 12 months in terms of the pandemic affecting her lifestyle or livelihood in this direct way so if you're not experiencing that it wouldn't cross your mind to be sensitive to people's financial situation it would only cross your mind to be sensitive to people's financial situation if your financial situation was bad
2: i don't remember if we said this on the podcast or not but i think that's what we take for granted if this pandemic had happened when we were 21 and students living in student accommodation with part-time jobs we would be absolutely fucked right now
3: or if we were a few years older and had young kids, kids and were on mat leave or had just bought our first house or had any sort of serious financial commitments we've been extremely lucky in terms of our age and where we're at in our lives and work etc I know I
2: feel like this age is um kind of conducive to a pandemic because all you want to do is stay at home anyway you just get it you're getting to the point where the thought of going out and socializing and going for dinner going to a club just sounds absolutely
3: horrific (laughs) yeah do you want to restart your computer or something your internet's like coming through
0: super fucked
1: We're back. We had just gone for several minutes while
3: Izzy's computer had a meltdown. I was listening to Promiscuous Girl and scrolling through my own Instagram stories archive. Do you ever do that? Oh, all the time. Uh, it's so fun. I'm like, who did I used to be? So narcissistic, <laughs> <Interesting>. I know. <laughs> I used to post so much crap. Same. Everything I I used did. to post just... naughty stuff. Like what? Like just... But just, like, dumb shit. I There was a thing I put up of – oh, I can't even say, but I put up, like, this really inappropriate, like, jokey caption on a picture from a, like, really prominent runway show. <laughs> and I was like, that's naughty. If a staff member did that when I worked there, I'd tell them off. Yeah. I was trying to be, like, a jokester account, I guess. Tried your hand at a meme account. <laughs> Strange but true. <laughs> okay, let's jump into Golden Globes because – There's kind of surprisingly a lot to say, but not necessarily on the thing that we think. (laughs) What? I'm just like, it's obvious the Golden Globes are racist, but like, it's interesting the nuances and degrees by which the Golden Globes are racist this year.
2: Yes. The Emily in Paris thing is so
3: crazy. It's like truly unbelievable. I've never been so, like, to borrow a phrase, gagged by a news alert. Like, at first I saw that Michaela Cole had been snubbed, and then I saw that Emily in Paris had got a nomination, and then I saw that James Corden had got a nomination for the role that we dedicated a whole segment to, which had been called, like, the most offensive role against gay people in decades. Insane. So I listened to this podcast that my friend Lachlan, who's a screenwriter, told me to listen to. And it's called The Big Picture and it's their most recent episode. And it goes into details because they're film critics, they've seen all the screeners for stuff that we haven't seen yet. And it goes into details about how insane some of the nominations are that we would not quite know yet because we haven't seen any of the movies. So Sia created this movie called Music that has been panned by anyone who's seen it, panned to the point of embarrassment maddie ziegler's in it playing an autistic teenager of course which she is. is just so awkward and she's been criticized for that and then she doubled down and said well i had an autistic teenager the first time but then she dropped out and then she said that she'd written it for maggie maddie ziegler so just nightmare film to be encouraging got all these nominations <laughs> they've got spike lee's kids spike lee's children are those weird golden globes ambassador kids celebrity kids who do that thing mm-hmm. and then they didn't give any of his movies a nomination *The five bloods and it's on was on everyone's list for short lists for awards the like the depths and depravity of how insane it is 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 nuts
2: i think the emily in paris i may destroy you thing is just kind of just proves how redundant these awards are i'm kind of just like as you were saying ages ago with the bachelor australia even if you don't want to change wouldn't you just change so that you don't fucking work yourself out of jobs yeah
3: that's why and and the this podcast said which i think is really fascinating so i was like who does the golden globes and it's the hollywood foreign press association which sounds like this big body it's 90 journalists And none of them are allowed to be American. That's the whole point of the foreign press thing. And you can apply online. All you have to do – I looked it up today. All you have to do is send 24 press clippings of published work about films to apply to be part of it. So the membership is random. So the membership is random as – and they're deciding – these 90 random people are deciding the biggest cultural events of the year – but even then, like you say, I'm like, what's the end game? What's Because this is what this podcast said, which was really funny, is they said, okay, if your end game is that you just don't care about taste and you don't care about talent and technique, you just want celebrities there, why are you snubbing Zendaya? Why are you snubbing Tom Hanks? Why are you snubbing <laughs> yeah. Ben Affleck? Why are you snubbing, like, all of these massive people that would be great to have on the red carpet you're sometimes saying that you want prestige but then you're doing emily in paris but then you're not doing bridgerton which is like the biggest show if you don't care about how good it is why would you not do bridgerton but do emily in paris it's just none of it makes any sense
2: the funniest part about all of it is how um the emily in paris writer first put up a tweet saying she's so embarrassed that I made a story. You didn't get nominated, and then she wrote a Guardian of ed Deborah um Yeah, obsessed with her. And the in the Guardian piece, she says that her mum called her and she picked up the phone, and her mum was like, "Emily in Paris got nominated for a Golden Globe," and she was like, "What?" And then and she goes, "Are you sure you didn't get it wrong?" And her mum was like, "No, I didn't get it wrong. watching (laughs) it on TV." And this woman was so confused that her own show got nominated for Golden Globe
3: that she Googled <laughs> it twice. But fair enough. As it, Emily in Paris, you'd be like, N- no, are you sure? She wrote a really good piece for The Guardian
2: saying, I made a story that was not only my favorite show of 2020, it's my favorite show ever. It takes a complicated issue of rape. I'm a sexual assault survivor myself and infuses it with heart humor, pathos, and a story constructed so well I had to watch it twice just to understand how cold did yeah. it Yeah. And then she said, the fact that May, I May Destroy You did not get one Golden Globe nod is not only wrong, it's what's wrong with everything. And then she went on to talk about her friend, Deb Dugan, who's the first female president and CEO of the Recording Academy, so the, which is most famous for being behind the Grammys. She was brought in to deal with, among other things, graft corruption, sexism, and the ongoing problem of Grammys So White. When Dib began to do that, when she actually started trying to clean house at the recording academy and had to file her own sexual harassment claim Mm. while doing it, she
3: was fired. Oh, my goodness. Well, I revisited, I think we've both written stories or writing stories about this topic. I started to revisit some of the worst um, occasions of this happening in history. And they are... The Grammys stuff, I know I've talked about this a bunch of times before, but they they are laughable to the point where it's actually painful to read. It makes you, like, thoroughly, thoroughly ashamed to be white. Fun beat Frank Ocean for Best New Artist. Maroon 5. Who the fuck is fun? That fucking Jack Antonoff's band that sings, like, we are young, that fucking shit song. Mm, Like, the word, like, cringe. Maroon 5 beat Kanye West for best new artist in 2005. <laughs> Mumford and Sons that Babel album, beat Channel Orange by Frank Ocean for best new for best album of the year.
2: Yeah, no wonder Frank Ocean was like I'm never That's going why to he pulled museum. out from
3: even putting himself forward. The polit- like this random album by Sting beat um Michael Jackson's Thriller. It's this huge history of just big big Beyonce
2: and Macklemore bit Kendrick Lamar
3: Macklemore beat Kendrick Lamar for best rap album which is especially painful and Taylor Swift's 1989 <laughs> I know I sound like I'm always having a go at Taylor Swift but beat um To Pimp a Butterfly like quite literally the defining yeah. album of our decade like Channel Orange and To Pimp a Butterfly are probably the two defining albums of this decade and the Grammys can't get it right. It's like, obviously, know. record sales are going to favor Taylor Swift. Obviously, the charts. But the, gra- the Grammys, like the Grammys don't know.
2: Yeah, so a, a 2017 report by Color of Change found that 91% of showrunners are white and 80% are male. Um, and it's also so crazy. This is unrelated. But I was reading an article in the New Yorker the other day that said a recent study found that 95% of novels published between 1950 and 2018 were written by mm. white authors.
3: Jesus.
2: Which I know isn't relevant to this discussion, but it just goes, it's just goes mm-hmm. so deep. But, um, uh, this journalist, Lydia Polgreen said on Twitter, The total freeze out of I May Destroy You and Michaela Cole is proof that the Golden Globes deserve zero attention and have zero connection to the actual culture.
3: Mm. It bothers me because there are some really fantastic nominees this year. So Riz Ahmed uh, is nominated for his role in Sound and Metal and Tahar Rahim is nominated for his role in the, I can't say this, Marintanian. Um, And if either of them win, they will be the first Muslim men to win in leading acting categories. And the fact that they got golden globes, nods means that they're likelier to get Oscar nods, which will make them the first Muslim men to win in an Oscar category for lead acting Emerald Fennell, who directed promising young woman, which is a revenge film about uh, centered around sexual assault. She directed this. It's her first movie when she was seven months pregnant that got a whole bunch of nominations. Chloe Zhao received her first nomination for Nomad Land with Frances McDormand. She's a Chinese American filmmaker. Even just Emma Corrin getting her first ever nomination for The Crown. It's like, yeah, well it pisses. Yeah, it's annoying because it's this, their stupidity has undermined the value of everyone else's nominations. That's really bothersome as well. There's only very yeah. few spaces where people can be celebrated for their art and now this whole platform is just void. Like I don't care who wins because it won't mean anything because if you can ignore the most important show of the year, by anyone's measure, who are you to judge anything? And then it just sucks for everyone else.
2: There was a few really interesting submissions to Dumoir about this from people who work in Hollywood. And someone wrote in and said the Hollywood Foreign Press are a bunch of old spoiled people that basically vote for those who they are starstruck by and those who coddle them best. I used to intern for the company that handled awards campaigns for Weinstein Co. in the mid-2000s and they would do anything to win. Actors literally handwrite written notes to the 60 Hollywood Foreign Press people asking to be nominated or thanking them for being nominated another person wrote in and confirmed the handwritten notes saying that she had to write 60 of them for Leonardo DiCaprio because <laughs> her handwriting was the closest to his i'm obsessed with that and 2011 entertainment weekly did a story about how show and film studios bribe the hollywood foreign press with gifts lavish pre-parties and even send flowers to members loved ones who are in hospital just to get a nomination plus they said that one recent one specific recent nomination not emily in paris was bought and paid for by netflix which just shows why like some actors don't some actors who really deserve to win these awards don't get noticed or considered is because they're refusing to play the game to play this
3: game i feel like this happens really regularly and it's why if you look up the directors for example who've never won an oscar it's like alfred hitchcock um stanley kubrick akira kurosawa um, Paul Thomas Anderson, David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, like all of the most important filmmakers now haven't won Oscars. I don't think Quentin Tarantino's won a directing Oscar before. It's like... <laughs> Wild. It's it, You know what I mean? These, these institutions are actually not really in touch with what's important in our culture. They are in this awkward kind of peripheral way that's not really relevant, and yet we put so much... They are important because they they affect what people go to see so much and what people go to see affects what people make. So they are important. And also what actors get paid. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, the knock-on effect of, okay, this Chinese-American female director has made this film and it got nominated for 12 Oscars is going to make studios more likely to green light chinese american filmmakers you know parasite would have had that effect as well so you can't completely ignore it because that's just like naive but they're also so flawed and so tied to money and not really based in like the value of the craft
2: i know we need to start from scratch and build them up again or something because that's the thing like with the emmys which is audience voted I May Destroy You will probably clean up. That's the one where Phoebe Waller-Bridge won so many awards, she couldn't carry them. But then, because these
3: are so decided by these old institutions and it's all about who you know. It also bothers me, the Michaela Cole thing, because Phoebe Waller-Bridge also won at the Golden Globes. And mm, Of course. any The only justifications you can make for I May Destroy You not being nominated is... Oh, it's a BBC show. Oh, it's in an English audience. Oh, it's like a small niche thing that's blah, blah, blah. Whereas the existence of Phoebe Waller-Bridge shows that all of those arguments are redundant. So there's literally no excuse apart from the fact that you're fucking racist. (laughs) You know what I mean? There just isn't because there's nothing different about I May Destroy You than there was about Fleabag, except that Michaela is Black. Okay, so um, AOC... Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the American congresswoman, um, has been in headlines again in the last few days because she did a big IGTV Instagram live that she uploaded that went for 90 minutes. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> um, and in it, it's a very small part of the conversation she's having, but in it, she disclosed that she's a survivor of sexual assault. Um, And the whole conversation was basically, she had been, there were people on Twitter that were basically saying that her calling on Republicans um, to resign, who had kind of baited the Trump base ahead of the Capitol siege, that she had no right to even talk about it because she hadn't actually been in the Capitol when it happened. Um, in the building and then there was all this back and forth because she said yes I was I just wasn't in the dome but I was in this other part and basically she had been kind of forced to justify her experience of the whole thing Um, and she wanted to make this point that the way Republicans are basically saying let's just move on and get over it it's not a big deal stop making a big deal over nothing was similar to how abusers especially uh, abusers of sexual violence kind of belittle and undermine um, and gaslight their victims by telling them it wasn't a big deal or telling them to sweep it under the rug so that was the context within which she talked about having experienced sexual assault because she was basically saying all of the feelings that i'm feeling now of being not believed and being told that i'm a liar are all the same things that victims go through she's since been criticized mainly on the right by but actually by some fringes of the left for kind of she's basically been accused of using a sexual assault narrative to like progress a political agenda which some people see as being a little sketchy because it's kind of being used for a personal end but i think that's i think that's kind of something that you say when you haven't watched the video and watched the context like i in theory I understand that argument, but in practice when you watch the video from start to finish, it's obviously not like a branding exercise or something. You know what I mean? So I yeah. What were your thoughts? <laughs> Long rambly. <I'm> <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I think that I think that when people are um, political figures or celebrities or just kind of have public personas that um, people question their motives behind everything and especially when it comes to politicians but like you say when you watch the video and you see that she's shaking and close to tears and said that she's never really told anyone this before you can see that it's. You can see that it was unplanned. She wasn't planning on doing that in an Instagram live. You can also see that while people are um, kind of saying that this video was this her doing a big political speech, you can see that she didn't think of it in that way. She thinks of the way she talks to her Instagram fans and followers. She does it in a really kind of um, lo-fi, friendly, chatty, off-the-cuff way, and. The reason she spoke about her sexual assault in the context of what happened at the Capitol was because she was explaining why her knee-jerk reaction was that of terror. And she's explaining that why when someone – obviously your reaction would be of terror Mm. anyway because she's like the most hated person for the right wing – and she would have been getting all these tweets about people coming to attack her. She'd be petrified. But the reason she's saying her knee-jerk reaction was terror and to run to the bathroom and to lock the door is because of compounded trauma. So because if she's already been through a traumatic event. And if you've had past traumatic experiences, that colours why you re- react a certain way to another situation that triggers you. So it, it, her explaining it in that context makes complete sense because she's explaining exactly why she reacted that way. And if she didn't bring in the sexual assault, then it might have seemed like an overreaction.
3: Because basically she she says, and this is part of, this is why Twitter is just, no one should be on Twitter because it, everyone's just arguing about these things that are just so stupid once you figure it out where people are basically saying AOC is a liar because she said that she had this traumatic event in the Capitol siege, but it t- basically she was in her office and then she started hearing someone like ramming on the door and thought that the protesters had broken in because she was getting tweets that they were about to break into the building when it was actually a Capitol police person who didn't declare himself as police. So she went and hid because she thought it was the protesters, but it was actually a police officer. So people were basically saying that she was acting as if she had been really close to the violence, when she hadn't been. But obviously when you think about it and you think about her being AOC and the number of death threats and the amount of hatred she has in Trump's base, the fact that they've broken into the building, you know that from Twitter, and the fact that your door's now being basically caved in would feel as trauma. You know, like in that situation when you don't know what the end result is, you the feeling you're having is as traumatic as if it – was the thing you think it was.
2: Yeah, so there were some specific tweets of people saying um, that you shouldn't be capitalizing on your trauma and that there's kind of no reason for people in the political space or celebrities to speak out about trauma publicly or on platforms like this. And they're being obviously purposefully kind of um, inflammatory. But then that just does such damage, I think, to the whole movement, because if you're saying women shouldn't be speaking out or, or capitalizing on their trauma, if that's what you call it, then like the whole Me Too movement wouldn't have happened. There's Women don't report and don't go to the police because the justice system is set up for them to fail. So oftentimes speaking out publicly is like a form of therapy and healing from trauma because you're helping other women and women who have been through something similar – And you're raising awareness of how common it is and you're also going to form a community with people who have seen that you've been through this and who reach out if they've been through the same thing. And oftentimes you're naming the perpetrator who's forced to have some sort of accountability for their actions rather than just going about living their lives with no one having known what they've done, which would have been the case otherwise.
3: Just like the Evan Rachel Wood thing that happened this week where she named Marilyn Manson as her abuser and she's basically said i tried to go to the police and the statute of limitations in california was three years it took me five years to even process what had happened in that relationship i got into that relationship Mm -hmm. when i was a teenager and he was nearly 40 um the level of stuff he did to me was so traumatic that I try to run away from it and bury it. And then by the time I saw a therapist and started getting the language for what had happened, I went to the police with a whole ton of evidence and was told that the statute of limitations on sexual and physical abuse was three years. And I tried to get the law changed and she actually did get the law changed, which which is amazing. Um, but that that's why she's been forced to publicly name Marilyn Manson because she said, I wanted to go to the police because I wanted him to go to jail so he couldn't do this to other young girls and the legal system failed me. This is the only way I can think of that's going to protect other young women from having to go through this. And like we've talked about a billion times in the podcast and like we interviewed Brie Lee about, um, yeah, the legal system often re-traumatizes or completely fails um, victims or survivors of sexual assault. So speaking in public has become this really empowering way like you say, for women to, or for any survivor of sexual assault to feel like they have a community and to recognize that what happened to them happened to them, you know, it's essential. This idea, this yeah, this yeah. this whole conversation on Twitter about not, yeah, there being no need to publicly air your personal traumas is just, um, I don't know. It's just like the hot take economy. It's just so boring. <laughs>
2: And like that's the, with F, FK Twigs and Shia LaBeouf. she was literally like, "I tried to, um, I tried to get him to take accountability without going public with this." I literally have been speaking to his lawyers, trying to get him to do therapy and things so that he doesn't harm other women, but he's refusing to do it. So what am I gonna do? Yeah, exactly. I
3: think the thing that's at the core of this is that on social media, especially, everything feels like performance Um, because everything kind of is performance. Everything you're doing, you're performing a version of yourself or your reality to be perceived a certain way online. Um, And the lines of that are obviously so messy where you have artists and creatives and writers sharing their work and then sharing sponsored ad content and people sharing. You know, it's all just very confused. And there is something so inherently fake about the way we all behave on social media that when you then add things like as serious as sharing disclosing your own assault I think it's really hard for people to remove that strategized branded performative aspect because obviously some thought is going into the way that you're um sharing that story and I think it's the line between what is thinking about the most effective way to get this story out and the line of strategizing your own personal branding can be so blurred. I think that's what people struggle with is they see uh, people coming out with their own stories of trauma as being acts of personal branding. I think most of us are intelligent enough to see the difference (laughs) and that there is a really massive difference and that this is just people understanding that social media is the most effective way to get a message out there because they have built communities of people that they care about. I just think that's what this tricky argument and conversation is, and especially in terms of AOC because she literally is a politician and like you said earlier, everything politicians do has a level of um, strategy and marketing and branding to it that people struggle to accept that something is honest or authentic or whatever because they're so used to looking at everything so cynically and I think that that's kind of what's at the root of this criticism of AOC. People don't believe that people can just be honestly (laughs) thing now because we're so cynical about people's motives online. Like AOC is really earnest and I think that's the thing that rubs people up the wrong way, is that she's just this enthusiastic, earnest, nice person. And there's obviously a bunch of people. Yeah. Myself included some sometimes, but not in this case. But there's a bunch of people that are very cynical about people's motives and like really struggle to accept that someone can just be a nice person doing nice things without any ulterior motive.
2: I know. And it's like and it's like you can you can see why she'd rub people up the wrong way, like releasing her stupid merch and wearing her like annoying eat the rich t-shirts. Like I get that Like you'd just be like, stop, but not when it comes to this. I know thing. she's just
3: a keen bean. And like we us us like dirty dirtbags in the world are just like, stop smiling. Stop being so optimistic. Stop thinking you can change the world because you fucking can't. Yeah. And obviously we don't want to be talking like that. Yeah. But um, that's what I mean. People, people are projecting their own cynicism about humans onto her. when they say this was just a strategy or this was just a thing, because that's how, you know, they see the world.
2: Yeah. It's like how everyone um, assumes that Jacinda Ardern has this, well, a lot of people in New Zealand assume that Jacinda Ardern has this ulterior motive and she's just putting on a front when she's all kind and caring and empathetic, but it's just not even, it's just literally who she is as a person. And that's why Mm. you end up being successful. That's why someone like AOC has resonated with so many people because it's not fake. It's like, Chloe, people will say the same thing about Chloe Swarbrick in five years and we'll be able to be like, no, she was wearing those band t-shirts and being herself before she was an MP. It's
3: just so hard, especially, I think it's so much more so when you're a woman. I think as women are so hyper aware of how they're perceived all the time. Um, it's like that John Berger thing where it's like women look at themselves obviously not all women do this but women can look at themselves almost through the male gaze sometimes where the way we look in the mirror or the way we walk on the street is influenced by how we're being perceived by men because we're kind of trained to do that I think women are so hyper aware of are they being too nice? Are they being not nice enough? Are they being amiable? Are they being friendly? They don't want to put people off they don't want to talk too much they don't want to be seen as aggressive like... We're constantly policing our own behavior and I think because of that, we are maybe assuming that other women are are performing when they do things because sometimes we feel like we're performing ourselves.
2: And if a guy's ever like this, if a guy's ever super earnest and jokey and fun and everyone's just like, oh, what a cute dad. No one's like, oh, that manipulative. Like imagine if a guy talked about being sexually assaulted, people wouldn't be like, you're trying to manipulate people.
3: Stop trying to manipulate <laughs> us. The only person who does it who I can think of who gets criticized for it is Boris Johnson because he pretends he's dumb and poor when he's well, <laughs> smart yeah. and rich. But every, yeah, we I think we just accept, we tend to just accept men on face value. Mm. That like what they say is true and their personality is their actual personality and what they wear is just what they like to wear. We don't tend to read into it and be like, you're just doing that. You're just wearing red lipstick because you want to be cool yeah whatever
2: um yeah anyway (laughs) so to end on a light note i'm gonna fill you in about the funniest piece of news i read today and that is that the guy who robbed kim kardashian in 2017 which obviously isn't funny it would have been very traumatic they robbed her at gunpoint in paris during paris fashion week it was a 67 year old man and four other men and he's written a tell-all book called it's in french but it translates to i kidnapped kim kardashian which isn't even true and i can't
3: believe that he's written a about book. to do that i know could <laughs> translate roughly to i kidnapped kim kardashian like the most unoriginal title
2: so beyond and basically he in it he writes that um, he didn't know who Kim Kardashian was until the next day when he re- when he saw the news, and he was just like, oh, shit, um, okay. Like, just thought it was...
3: So he just thought it he was got told his just run-of-the-mill.
2: His boss told him it was a rapper's girlfriend. Wow. Um, and then he... So he, they leave the apartment, and he gets on his bicycle. He said it was, like, so badly organised, because they basically organised <laughs> it. They organised it when... The day she basically posted a photo of her huge engagement ring, which was a day before the robbery or something. It was not organized super well, but they were tipped off by someone in her like team or something. He said he left the apartment. He stole. They stole $10 million worth of jewelry and two cell phones, and including Kim's, and then they left the apartment and he gets on his bicycle and is riding along the footpath and then his bicycle gets a flat tire, so he falls over the top of his bike and then drops all oh of the God. stuff so he lost a forty thousand dollar pendant during this
3: picks up he the, lost it
2: yeah lost it just i don't know where it <gasps> went then picked up all the stuff and then as he's picking up all the stuff to like gather it and run away and he hears um police sirens he kim kardashian's phone starts ringing and it's tracy chapman a what what <laughs> And he said that he saw Tracy Chapman's no, name and then thought he was. a halluc- fast car fame. You
3: get a fast car. I want to get to
2: anywhere. And thought he was hallucinating. So, um, threw her phone in the river and then just ha- ha- hurried home. And then his wife yelled at him because he was late. I was like, what
0: is this story? That's such an
3: insane story. I'm kind of obsessed with it though. I know. I was like, this is a very bad but very bingeable tell all book. I literally assumed that that would be an extremely slick operation. No, that's
2: why they worked For caught. some reason. They all got caught so quickly because it was just, it was, they it, organized it. So is it. he
3: out of jail now or did he write this from jail? Unsure.
2: But he's doing a press tour. <laughs> he's doing a press run and he's spoken to all these that friends.
3: That is so naughty. I know. A press tour. hmm Beyond. I wonder how Kim feels. Obviously, yeah, terrible. obviously terrible. It's she needs to sue him with her new legal skills. I know.
2: Apparently, he said that when um they broke into the apartment, she tried to ring nine one one, which is not oh, the number no, in Kim. France. But I feel like I would have done similar. I would have been like, "What even is it in France? I don't know."
3: Neither. Yeah. Oh oh oh! oh that's Australia. <laughs> what? i What is it here? Nine nine nine. Okay. mm Hmm. Let's Google it just in case we're ever in an emergency in France. French emergency number one one two. How's anyone supposed to know that?
2: <laughs> it's one 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 in New Zealand. Is it? I think.
3: Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm.
2: Why isn't it just the same everywhere?
3: Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I think that about electrical sockets all the time. I'm like, oh, I know God. that. I know at this point it's too hard. Mm-hmm. that would change every electrical socket on the planet <laughs> yeah but why were they all designed differently that's so annoying um
2: back in the like 1940s them trying <laughs> to like coordinate with hitler about the like electrical sockets <laughs> oh should i quickly tell you this alex rodriguez drama
3: mm. please i do not understand this so alex okay. rodriguez being a rod the a rod yes of J Lo, of JLo Lo and Aaron J-Lo. fame.
2: <laughs> I know, but but he's a massive major league baseball player, so he's super famous already. You're doing, doing that with ready. inverted
3: commas. You're like he's like a Is major league baseball player.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I um, disgustingly know a lot about this because I got stuck in a black hole on page six this afternoon trying to figure it out. Also, because Who Weekly, one of my fave podcasts, kind of covered this girl, so. Southern Charm is this Bravo show, which I really now want to watch, based in, like, I don't know where it's based. I think Nashville, Tennessee or something. And Kristen Cavallari. From the hills. Has weird ties to it. Madison LaCroix. Yes. Madison LaCroix has been hooking up with Kristen Cavallari's ex or something. Then, on this Southern Charm reunion special that happened a week ago, they were it was, everything was kicking off. They were having huge fights. And basically, someone said that Madison had been hooking up with a married, really famous former Major League Baseball player and they've beeped the name out. Then last week some other C-list person like of that reality TV uh, world went on a podcast and said blatantly outright, Madison told me a while ago that she was DMing Alex Rodriguez. <gasps> So then, everyone was like, "Holy shit, it's Alex Rodriguez!" People went onto Madison's Instagram, and he'd been liking her photos up until last month, January, was publicly liking her photos. The likes have now been removed. You're
3: engaged to J Lo. Like, yeah. how, are, you insa- are, you I know. are you insane? Are you insane? Are you
2: insane? I'm also just. I was just saying today. I was like, imagine how pissed you would be do you know that that feeling when you're so angry inside because you're like you're just a fucking idiot like you're just such a fucking idiot mm-hmm. who would publicly like a little thotty blonde reality tv star's <laughs> instagram what's the show called southern bill southern charm maybe Southern when you're Char- when you're engaged to Lo, like don't publicly do that you imbecile she would have been screaming at him telling him to unlike the post it's just absolutely chaotic. So then, <laughs> so then today,
3: do you not Madison wonder as well, has- like how J gets wind of this? I think that all the time. Like, is she googling herself? Does her assistant tell her? No, is she her secretly looking at Dumas? Her. her PR. So person? apparently, what
2: happened was so. I, I this is I, I'm just coming into this whole thing now, so I've missed a bit. But on Dumois they were pop- they were posting. Apparently, A Rod put up on his stories. Sometime in the past few weeks, saying he, he, his Instagram was hacked. J Lo reshared it and then she deleted it a few hours later because she must have believed him initially and thought his Instagram was hacked and then realized. Oh, it was hacked it just to like
3: the photos of a contestant on Southern Charm. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, in what world? I know. <laughs> and then.
3: So I love is boys, they're so people. stupid.
2: They're so, so stupid. How Armin how Armingham was following all these hashtags on Instagram. Yeah all these oh disgusting God. hashtags on instagram when he was married um just honestly remember my ex my ex-boyfriend was following like hayley bieber and juju hadid and all these and emrata and all these girls and i was like sorry when did this happen
3: i remember that
2: i'm trying to think of my something own stupid
3: <laughs> i'm trying to think of something stupid a boy's told me in the past it's just insane
2: And I said, why are you following, why are you randomly following Juju Hadid, you pedo? She was like 18 at the time. And he goes, I like her movies. It's like she's not an actress. Um, But then Madison today. So basically uh, there were all these rumors that she'd flown to Miami to hook up with him and stuff. But then today she came out and said they'd spoken on the phone a few times and DM'd a few times, but it was all chill, which doesn't sound like the truth. Basically, I don't know if she flew to Miami to hook up with them, but definitely they were, like, FaceTiming and stuff. And weird, yeah, weird shit was going on. What are you doing? Like,
3: can I reiterate, like, you've literally won the lottery. What are you doing? Yeah. Men get emasculated. By powerful women it's just a thing it's true Rod has like naughty energy
2: of course that's why she'll be attracted to him but also she just performed at the fucking super bowl her body that's what i mean like but, he's just, windy, but he's they just winty her face he's just an idiot. Yeah, they're just idiots
3: he's just an idiot but it's i remember reading vanity fair did like a profile with the two of them and it was weird. I was like, these guys are soulmates because there was this really bizarre thing where, even how it's A Rod and J Lo, they grew up really near each other. They're like r- almost exactly the same age to the month. They grew up in a really close neighborhoods to each other. Their career trajectories hit like key things at the same time. Like he did his first, I don't know about baseball, the same year she did her first. Platinum album that they're, they're almost like kind of twins of each other. It's really strange. And this whole piece was about how they just kind of finally came around after knowing each other for years. Like she, they knew him when she was married to Mark An- Anthony, um, which is crazy that she was married to him. Um, and I w- I thought they were a really sweet kind of mature couple that had just hit the lottery finding each other so this is bothering yeah. me but something gross actually from that vanity fair story is that a-rod didn't know they were on a date and so they were at dinner and then she went to the bathroom and he texted her is this a date dot 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 you look so sexy haha <laughs> xxx X. and i was like oh yeah yuck, yuck. Can you imagine? Figure it out. I would just keep walking, I'd leave.
2: This this is imbecile. Like honestly idiot.
3: So now it's all coming together in my brain. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Publicly liking girls' Instagram. (laughs) Like have a finster. That's a mistake that's fine to happen in like two thousand
3: fucking twelve. Even Army Hammer had a finster. Yeah, I can't believe that. That's such naughty behaviour. She needs to dump him like a ton of bricks. I know. Well, then now they're like full playing the game. They were
2: spotted out at dinner today.
3: Okay.
2: As if you'd want to leave the house and go for dinner,
3: like ever, especially now. <gasps> yeah, it just now. looks even
2: more fake. And then on Doomwire, which is really funny. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just stuck to addict. More fake. But on Doomwire. Today It was so funny because someone wrote in and said maybe they're in an open marriage. And then straight after that, there were all these people writing in being like, absolutely not. They're mm-hmm. not in an open relationship. No way in hell. They, um, All these flight attendants were, were writing in and saying, so this is obviously not fact, allegedly, that every time JLo and A-Rod are on the flight, they um, JLo requests male flight attendants because she doesn't want A-Rod to flirt with the female attendants. like, <gasps> fuck that, get rid of him. Uh, this, there were like multiple flight attendants writing and saying that.
3: Why are you doing that? It's so unnecessary. But this is when I, the uh, famous women, bother me because it's like you could have a really fantastic guy that's not hot that you will love mm-hmm. and that will love you, and you're being naughty. You're, pick, you're you're being Claire from The Bachelorette. Yeah. And to a certain extent. You're creating the situation for yourself because no one's forcing you to get married to A-Rod.
2: No one's heard any cheating rumours about John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, have they?
3: Exactly. Exactly. I rest my case.
2: Okay, guy. um, Okay, folks. I was saying the other day I hate how um, Americans use the word folks, but I think it's to just not be gendered and not say guys, but I don't think of guys as being a gendered word anyway
3: neither and like weird people say folks it's not always woke people it's like weird cowboys yeah (laughs) bye everyone bye folks (laughs) do you ever just wish we could be do you ever just think (laughs) (laughs) that's when the podcast goes downhill when the wine <gasps> sunk into a thank you left me for 40 minutes and i had to just drink wine and now i'm crazy no um yeah. but i'm like do you ever just think do you ever just imagine what it would be like when we said goodbye if everyone we were saying goodbye to was here It'd be so weird
2: i know i know because you just i just feel like i'm talking to you until we get angry dms <laughs> i know or happy reviews
3: We actually, we get so few angry DMs. We're so lucky. I think we've had like four in the whole time we've done this podcast. So they're like really carved us.
2: Yeah, but we've carved out our audience who understand. It's It's like us with AOC. Our audience understands that we mean well.
3: Actually, just really, really quickly, sorry, before we go, but I listened to Frankie Boyle on Louis Theroux's podcast. He's a comedian. And he was saying that the whole problem with the internet now is that your content is getting shared with people who it's not meant for. And that's yes. the whole thing. And I was like, oh my God, that's the answer to everything. Where he said that if you're, because he's a comedian and he gets kind of cancelled a lot. And he just said, like, the comedy I make is alternative, jokey, ironic. He was like, it's made for like 90 people in a comedy club at any given time. And then people are taking the transcript and putting it on Twitter with no context. And it looks like it's saying something completely different to what you know it's saying if you're my kind of person. Like you need the whole lead up of my set to understand that I'm lefty, progressive, like pro all of this stuff to know what my background and my work is. And then when I make a certain joke, it makes sense in that context. Whereas now people are taking people's opinions and words out of context and putting them with people that don't get what they do
2: yeah that's, that's basically so what true. the whole
3: internet is
2: yeah i just want to i just want a small niche that's
3: it yeah and that's what we're really lucky with that's why if we get someone who's angry we're like oh my god because we're like how did you get here <laughs> I'm so sorry let's get um, on zoom and someone dm'd us and said that um someone dm'd us and they're like it's really wrong that you're eating um uber eats we we're like no it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm <was> like <laughs>
2: contactless delivery we're keeping the restaurants we love alive and grace can't cook so you want her to die do you want me to
3: starve to death
2: (laughs) okay we gotta go Bye. bye bye